You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Now, from our nation's capital... This is Bloomberg Sound On. If people think the country is on the wrong track and are upset, it's usually really bad news for the party in power. The Democrats have a very difficult challenge on their hands when it comes to the midterms. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. I think there's a lot of pent-up demand for electing a woman, and I think 2022 could be the year of the woman. I see the demand that we have today as the baseline for the future. It means our economy is roaring back. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. When do we get a dull day? I mean, really, does that happen anymore in Washington? I'm sorry to be too cute right off the top, but it has been another doozy here in the capital city with the House voting on a bill today to fund government operations. Gosh, about 24 hours before a possible shutdown. We're really we're really talking about this. Thanks to possible trouble waiting in the Senate, as we warned you about yesterday, we'll have the latest from our team on the Hill coming up. Emily Wilkins, Jack Fitzpatrick will be here, and we're going to talk about it as well in just a moment with Bill Hoagland of the Bipartisan Policy Center to get a sense of what in the world is going on. All this today as President Biden rolls out his plan to fight COVID this winter, following now a third known case of Omicron here in the U.S., We'll talk about that later in the hour with Patrice Harris, former president of the American Medical Association. The panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano with us for the hour, along with George C. of Annandale Capital. And we're going to dig down, as promised, into the president's latest plan to fight COVID this winter as we learn of now the second and third cases of Omicron here in the U.S., Minnesota and now Colorado. But we also want to update you first on this possible shutdown. It came out of nowhere really yesterday. As we learned, a small number of Republican senators were threatening to block a short-term government funding bill over objections to federal vaccine and testing mandates. Speaker Nancy Pelosi today says the House is doing its job. Votes happening today. The Senate, another matter. There are those on the other side of the aisle who have this anti-vax plan. Uh, It's anti-science. It would remove all COVID safety protections. It would end vaccination requirements that people get shots in the arms and make workplaces safe. It's a a defiance of science and public health, and that's what we're up against. And guess who agrees? Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, as he expressed earlier on Fox News. Yeah, we're not going to shut the government down. That makes no sense for anyone. Uh, Almost no one on either side thinks that's a good idea. Okay. Not that he doesn't agree with his members who oppose the president's COVID mandates, He just thinks it's a matter for the courts. I don't think shutting down the government 
over this issue is going to get an outcome. Uh, it would only create uh, chaos and uncertainty. So I don't think that's the best vehicle uh, to get this job done. I think the courts are likely to get it done or will pass early next week, freestanding, a measure to overturn uh, the government mandate. And you better believe President Biden is aware of all of this. He even brought it up during his COVID speech today. Some of my friends on the other team are arguing that if I don't commit that there'll never be any more mandates, they're going to let us default. In the neighborhood I come from in Claymont, they'd look at me and say, go figure, go figure. Go figure. So how does this end? Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick is with us right now live from Capitol Hill where he has been roaming the halls and breaking news once again today. Jack, it's great to have you back. We wanted to start the program with you because uh, you've got your finger here on the pulse. Assuming this passes the House, what happens after that? Uh, The big question, and and yes, it does look like this is probably going to pass the House. The big question then is what they can do in the Senate. The offer from these conservative senators is we can let this move quickly enough to pass through the Senate before uh, the deadline if you give us a vote on an amendment to add a measure to it that would block the OSHA vaccine and testing requirement with a simple majority threshold, which is different than what you'd usually see in the Senate, where it takes Mm -hmm. 60 votes, especially to attach something to a major bill like this. Uh, The question then is, do Democrats go along with it? And, And I think the most relevant question related to that is, can they keep all of the Democrats from voting for such an amendment? Uh, You could imagine a Joe Manchin or another moderate person uh, siding with Republicans against vaccine mandates. Uh, And if they can address that and circle the wagons and say, well, we'll keep all our votes, maybe it's not the worst thing thing for Democrats to give them that simple majority threshold. Uh, But this really, I think, depends on that whip count that they're very likely doing to see what the outcome would be of that kind of vote. Wow, this is mind numbing. Last time we spoke, this time yesterday, Jack, uh, the the likelihood of at least a temporary shutdown, maybe the weekend, uh, you thought was pretty real. Where are you today? It's still significant. Uh, The fact that Senator McConnell clearly does not expect something on this, uh, does not expect a shutdown, does mean something. It It is possible that they will go to people like Senator Manchin and any other moderate Democrats who might flip and say, you will have another chance to oppose vaccine mandates with a separate vote, that's and right. maybe that's good enough for them. And then they they hold the line. They give this amendment vote, which then would fail, uh, and that would allow this all to, to pass through relatively quickly. That's their opportunity, but that's pretty mm-hmm. complicated. So, yes, there, there still absolutely is a chance of a brief shutdown that could last a few days. Jack Fitzpatrick of Bloomberg Government and this program, Bloomberg Sound On. We thank you, Jack, for the update. Good luck with your coverage. Look for his work on the terminal, as always, as we now bring in someone who has seen this movie before. Maybe a different version. We could be in the sequel here, Bill Hoagland, but I want to welcome back the senior vice president at the Bipartisan Policy Institute. He's with us now on Sound On, having spent uh, a good generation on Capitol Hill, Bill uh, you must be scratching your head. Who's in control at this point? Is it the leadership or the rank and file? <laughs> uh, good to be with you, Joe. It's it, it's uh, it, right now. I, th- I still think it's the leadership. At the end of the day, the leadership still makes the 
makes the final decision. Yes, the, the, Mr. McConnell and Mr. Schumer have their hands full right now, particularly Mr. McConnell with his caucus. But uh, I, I still think that at the end of the day, the leadership will win out here. Um, as I think Jack was just saying, that there will be an opportunity here for people to vent and uh, vote on maybe an amendment or something. But I, at the end of the day, as it relates to the shutdown, I'm a I'm not a. I'm not of the mindset that I just heard Jack say. I am yeah. of the mindset that uh, this will be resolved, and uh, uh, the House has passed it, and the Senate uh, will uh, pass it also, and then McConnell will win at the end of the day. That because uh, McConnell does not want a shutdown. Nobody benefits from a shutdown, and particularly this over this issue, which is, quite frankly, from my perspective, and I'm not a lawyer, is in the courts to be decided right yeah. now. Well, that's what Mitch McConnell says as well. Uh, so to your point. Uh, what happens if we get a little temporary thing, two, three days here? Does that matter in the grand scheme, uh, a weekend shutdown, well, Bill? Uh, I, you, as you said, Joe, I've been through this before. Uh, <laughs> I, a weekend shutdown is nothing. Uh, I don't think it, uh, I think to the extent that uh, uh, there is a shutdown, it will be very brief, uh, Saturday, maybe Sunday. And if there is somebody that's trying to filibuster, they'll talk for a while. But uh, this will be a very short uh, shutdown, if, if any at all. And go into the books is uh, not even really much of a, uh, a deal. I think there are bigger issues that they have to deal with, and quite frankly, they want to move on. This is a waste, quite frankly, a waste of time. They've got the debt limit they have to deal with. Uh, Schumer wants to still work on uh, getting the Build Back Better done. Uh, there's so much more important things to do here than right. the agreement has been reached on how long to do this uh, uh, extension to the end of February so, or early February. So let's uh, let's move on and, and, and get to the real business at hand at in terms of the debt limit, which to me is more important, huh. frankly, in terms of oh, its man. fiscal impact than, than, well, that's a, for sure. than, a, than a weekend shutdown. And probably a lot more complicated to resolve here. Uh, you spent 25 years on the U.S. Senate staff, Bill Hoagland. What kind of conversations are happening behind the scenes when such a small number of the Republican membership in this case is is standing in the way? Well, I'm not privy to the uh, caucus, uh, the discussions in the caucus rooms and things of that going on right now. My guess is that there's a little bit of a, of a standoff between, excuse me, standoff between the uh, uh, members who uh, are are making this stand, uh, Senator Lee and others. I uh, I just think that's probably, if anything, a little bit of a uh, uh, a lot of myth. Uh, people are angry. Uh, within the caucus, um, I'm sure, and at least in the Republican caucus against uh, for those who are, are holding this uh, continuing resolution up. Because as I say, this does not look good for Republicans at all long term. And I think that's why Mr. McConnell, uh, the minority leader, is uh, saying we're not going to have a shutdown. And right. it, just, it just does not play well politically long term. And I don't think that, I don't think anybody benefits from it. Bill Hoagland, Senior Vice President at the Bipartisan Policy Institute, with us on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we wait for the votes to come in here. You mentioned the debt ceiling, Bill. Uh, <laughs> where are we going with this now? Obviously, this has been something that's gone on for months. Democrats could have taken care of this last summer. Are we walking up yes. to the cliff again? And, and will Mitch McConnell get involved this time? All I keep hearing is that he's in talks with Chuck Schumer. No one seems to be doing a lot of posturing about it. Well, I think we are uh, going to get uh, rather close once again to the uh, the cliff. Uh, uh, the Bipartisan Policy Center will be issuing its uh, estimate here uh, uh, early tomorrow morning and uh, what, what we're dealing with. 
Uh, the Congressional Budget Office has said you have to act by the end of uh, December. Uh, they do want to get out of here for the holidays. I think they do want to get out of here for the holidays. Yeah. Uh, and so the, this is going to – the discussions – yes, you're absolutely correct. Discussions are going on very privately between Schumer and uh, Mr. McConnell. And I do believe that uh, they're trying to keep it out of uh, – uh, frankly, out of the press and out of the partisanship that could develop. And for I believe Senator, uh, that the two of them are going to work out a deal here that allow for some form of an extension, if nothing else, an extension as long as the continuing resolution be through it and uh, we'll kick this can again. We will not – I cannot for the love of me believe in God's green earth that we would default uh, ever. Uh, as I say, this is – that would be the worst possible outcome from a, from a financial perspective yeah. going forward. But they are working on it behind the scenes. That's why I say that McConnell wants to get this CR out of the way so they can get and resolve. Exactly. Death, but, uh, probably next week. We hope that we'll be reporting on that next week. Bill Hoagland, many thanks, senior VP at the Bipartisan Policy Center with us on Bloomberg. And we now turn to a member of Congress. It's a one, two, three punch here at the beginning of Sound On as we welcome Congressman Warren Davidson, Republican from Ohio. Congressman, I know you're in the throes of votes, so we thank you for dropping whatever you were up to and, and grabbing the phone to talk with us. Is this continuing resolution going to pass the House? Uh, yeah, it'll pass the House. I don't think Democrats need our votes to do it. So I think we're good on, um, you know, their the CR passing, or I yeah. say, you know, Democrats are good on it. It's not the Republican version. Uh, it's going to be the Democrat version. I don't know where that'll land with what uh, McConnell and Schumer have agreed upon, but presumably there's at least a three-way deal. I don't know that Kevin McCarthy's <laughs> part of the deal. Understood. And I might have uh, been better off to start more broadly. Are you concerned about a shutdown? Or are you concerned about the conversation happening in the Senate? Or do you think this is going to come together over the weekend? I'm encouraged by the conversation happening in the Senate, and I, I think Mike Lee is uh, really pushing a good initiative here, which is, you know, people act like the Congress has had a voice in all this. Congress hasn't had a voice. There's a continuing resolution. So Congress hasn't agreed to fund uh, the mandates, uh, the COVID-19 mandates, and or any number of other executive actions from the administration. This is the one that uh, Roger Marshall led the initial letter on and said we shouldn't fund uh, these COVID-19 mandates. There are yes, five. Right. And so uh, this is really, shall we fund the government with mandates or shall we fund the government without mandates? It's, I think, being falsely characterized as an effort to shut down the government. It's which way shall we fund the government? But if a shutdown is the result here, is, is that the best way to handle this? Or do you think, like, like Senator McConnell says, this should be handled in the courts? I don't think it should be handled in the courts. That would be Congress completely ignoring their Article One constitutional duty. Okay. In particular, we're the ones with the power of the purse. And when you say, well, one side pushed uh, the shutdown versus the other, no, I mean, it's stubbornness on both sides. It, it really is a game of brinksmanship. But it's like, really, you would rather shut the government down uh, than, than withdraw the mandates? Three of the five have already been enjoined by the courts. So it really seems like the momentum uh, legally – uh, is is on the side of the people that say we should fund the government without the mandates. Sure. It's it's amazing the semantics here because you can you can spin this around as you just did and and say this in both different directions. I want you to hear and you likely did already congressman what speaker Pelosi had to say about this today. This is so silly. This is so silly that we have people who are anti-science, anti-vaccination saying they're going to 
shut down government over that, and you're asking me what's our message. Our message is that we have to respect governance, and we have to respect science, and that's what we are doing, and we will pass this legislation. Congressman Davidson, when you hear that, do you, do you worry about Republicans being blamed for a shutdown if that's what happens? Well, that's generally what happens. If Republicans fight on anything, they get blamed by, frankly, Democrats and their co-conspirators in the legacy media generally. But, you know, I've appreciated, you know, Bloomberg covers it pretty straight. And, you know, the, the I was wondering if is, I was part of the legacy media. Nah, I think Bloomberg's really got, given a great alternative here. And, you know, really one of the places that's reporting facts. And, and so my, my point in this is if you look at her uh, false argument, the people that are opposed to COVID-19 mandates aren't opposed to vaccines. I mean, the bill to fund the vaccine development passed like 416 to 7 in the House. Uh, there's broad support for developing the vaccines and for you being able to choose the vaccines. Yeah. There's not broad support for the idea that you have to show your papers to be able to be served dinner. Boy, Congressman, could you imagine a couple of years ago the two of us having this conversation? I mean, is, is there is there some madness to this that we're that we're connecting it though to government funding? I, I I'm assuming your answer is no. I don't think there's madness at all. It's like which sort of government should we have? I think we should have a government that that's uh, not mandating that people do these things. But there's obviously and, a lot uh, of the government to be funded here that has nothing to do with the mandates. You know the. The implications of a shutdown are, are, are quite broad, obviously. And when, if this is going to come down to a vaccine mandate argument, why not once again send it to the courts, figure that out in the meantime, and let the government function? Why does, why does no one want to be represented by their Congress? That's why Congress has such a, such a low approval rating. They do nothing. Even the one thing they're supposed to do, which is fund the government, uh, I hear arguments from people making the case you're trying to make right now in the form of a question. Why don't you just fold? Why don't you just come here and do what you're told and go home? No one in America would win a congressional race campaigning on coming here and doing what they're told. We all come here to fight to represent our districts. And broadly, broadly, in particular, rural America does not want to be led by people saying, show us your papers so you can be served dinner, so you can get on a train, so you can fly, uh, uh, get on a flight. And Democrats are saying that's not what's here. The mandates behind it is exactly where it had Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris. They all said they were never going to mandate it. They said it was unethical. Dr. Fauci said it. They were all on the other side of this issue just this spring. Agree with Congressman Warren Davidson or not. You did a you did a wonderful job articulating the argument here, Congressman, and I thank you for that. Warren Davidson, Republican from Ohio, who also told us that this will likely pass the House. The question, of course, is what happens next door in the Senate. And if you didn't understand this argument before this broadcast, you probably do now. And we're going to pose this to the panel. Jeannie is with us. As I mentioned, Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzana, who is listening to our conversations uh, at this point of the broadcast. George C. is here, too, co-founder, chairman of Annandale Capital, former senior advisor to Marco Rubio's 2016 presidential campaign all right Jeannie. i'm trying to get my head around all of this now without making a statement as the congressman suggested this bill's going to pass the house from what we're hearing from our reporting from jack fitzpatrick and others on the terminal it may not pass the senate we may have a shutdown this weekend is anyone going to care 
I think Americans are starting to sort of be comfortable with these shutdowns. I'm starting to think so, too. A a government shutdown is not what it used to be, I guess. It's not. I mean, I remember, you know, 10 years ago when there were threats of these shutdowns, it was all the rage, all the news. I talked to many, many students today, and it was sort of a yawn. They'll work it out. So, (laughs) you know, so I, I, I do think Americans are, you know, and I don't think this is necessarily a good thing getting used to this, but it is quite, I mean, just those conversations you just had were fascinating because what we're looking at is a small number one person in the senate who can stop the entire government from moving forward and and keeping us out of a shutdown that to me i always ask myself is this any way to run a government no way so (laughs) you know and, and that's not to blame either anybody in there or any side it's to say structurally there's a big problem george c does congressman davidson have a point here That Congress should, in fact, play a role in deciding whether Americans should be mandated by way of government funding. You know, I want to come back to to your point earlier that that Americans are getting used to this. I I, I don't think that's really quite accurate. I think Americans have been disgusted with these procedural delays and last minute deadlines and, and political bickering for quite some time i think they've become numb to it at this point though the disgust okay. is dissipated and and they're they're numb to it and <laughs> I, I think these things are non-substantive and are, are are good to talk about for a brief matter of time but the fact is we're a triple a credit the government will be funded and any default will be very short-lived default or shutdown are you are you adding the debt limit to that as well because i was going to ask both of you if people don't care as much about a shutdown story because they're so used to them and we have real stuff to worry about with a possible uh, debt ceiling default coming up, Jeannie. That, that is a real concern. And, and I do think the shutdown is a real concern, but I do think they're going to push their way through it. You know, I agree that they, McConnell and the, the leadership will prevail on this, even if it's shut down briefly. The debt ceiling is another, I mean, sorry, the debt is another issue. Yeah. The debt ceiling is another issue. That is something that is an enormous threat to the United States, particularly at this point. And I can't remember a time in modern history when we've been seemingly this close with no off-ramp, even if you just look at the calendar itself, taking everything aside. So I do think that's a real concern. How about that, uh, George? Are we getting to the point where people are savvy enough to tell the difference, to your point, numb on a government shutdown conversation, but, but very concerned about a default? Yeah, and I, I do think that the concern on a default in the short term is, is, is really not substantive. We, we're, we're in good shape for the time being, but I had lunch with quite a few sophisticated folks yesterday who were really plugged into leaders in both parties, and, and they were saying, and I, I would echo that, that we're, we're losing sight of the long-term game. That The, 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 uh, the once-in-a-century tsunami hurricane is, is on the horizon, and what that is is no entitlement reform, uh, ongoing deficit spending and a debt burden that is getting larger and larger and larger and eventually will become unsustainable and we will default on our debt at some point whether it's soft or hard depends on the circumstances but because that's still off in the future people especially career politicians can pretend it's just not happening and ignore Mm -hmm. it and that's that's a travesty so so if we're not being substantive for you here george is that what you're referring to it's it's excess spending it's it's a the long-term debt and the lack of entitlement reform. The entitlements will kill us all eventually because we can't afford them. We're pretending that we can and we can't. George C., Annadale Capital, with us for the hour, along with Jeannie Shanzano, of course, Bloomberg Politics contributor. I'm going to try to keep this substantive for the hour. 
the fastest hour in politics. We'll get an update on traffic and the markets on the way. And we're going to turn to President Biden's speech today on COVID and Omicron. And we're going to do that with somebody in the know, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, Patrice Harris, former president, American Medical Association, up next. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 11.30, to Boston, Bloomberg 106.1, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Headline on the terminal, Biden calls on U.S. to expand shots, boosters to fight surge. You heard the address live on Bloomberg. And coming up, we'll walk you through what you need to know from this, what we might expect ahead, and share insights in a special conversation with Dr. Patrice Harris, former president of the American Medical Association. President Biden left the White House today to roll out his plan to fight COVID this winter. This is the speech he promised on Monday when we all Heard him speak for the first time about Omicron. Today, he addressed a crowd of medical professionals at the National Institutes of Health. Today, I'm back to announce our action plan to battle COVID-19 this winter. Not that any of us are surprised any of you, because it's the com combined advice from all of you that we developed this plan. And it doesn't include shutdowns or lockdowns, but widespread vaccinations and boosters and testing and a lot more. Interesting, right off the top. With the caveat, there'll be no shutdowns or lockdowns. As he got to the five-point plan, remember the beginning of September was the six-prong plan. Today, the five-point plan has largely to do with increased testing. And that does include, as we mentioned earlier in the week, those traveling into the country from outside of the U.S. have to show a negative result within a day of getting on an airplane. Also had a lot to do with boosters, increasing the availability of boosters for Americans adding to the number of surge teams out in communities and helping, as he put it, to vaccinate the world. We're joined right now by an expert on all of this. Dr. Patrice Harris was president of the American Medical Association when COVID first emerged. Now CEO of the company eMed. Doctor, it's great to have you today. I wonder what your thoughts are on this. The president speaking to Americans largely in a vacuum of information. It will be weeks before we get a lot of new information on the, the new variant here. He could have arguably delivered this speech even before we learned about Omicron. And so how worried are you about this winter, doctor? 
Well, I am concerned uh, about this winter and have been for some time because uh, we knew that as we were returning to work and to school and uh, were likely to be indoors during the the winter months, uh, that there likely would be a resurgence of not only uh, COVID, and of course we've been in the midst of this Delta surge, but also the flu. So I am concerned, as everyone is concerned, we've seen just in the last 24 hours three cases. By the way, there will be more. But the key question is, what are we going to do? We should use uh, this time uh, to prepare and not panic and act. And the things uh, that we know, the president outlined some uh, today, uh, vaccinations. We need everyone to get vaccinated and get their boosters when they're eligible, uh, wearing masks where appropriate. Uh, ventilation and testing. I was so very glad to see this um, increased emphasis on testing. You know, it's been critical from the beginning, and it's now uh, even more uh, critical. I want to ask you about that specifically. Before I do, I just want to let our listeners know that the House has voted to pass that government funding bill, would fund the government to February 18th. Not a huge shock, as we told you at the beginning of this hour. It's cleared the House The Senate is next, and that's another matter. Doctor, when it comes to specifics about testing, I'm really glad you brought it up because that was largely uh, some of the real news in this address today. And while vaccines, I know, are critically important, arguably the most important tool we have, a lot of people have argued that we have not used testing to its fullest ability, and we've actually... Uh, we've actually been held back by it. The president today now is is really leaning into at-home tests. Here's what he said. Health insurers must cover the cost of at-home testing so that if you're one of the 150 million Americans with private health insurance, next month your plan will cover at-home tests. Private insurers already cover the expensive PCR test and that you get at the doctor's office. And now they will cover at-home test as well. Dr. Harris, how important is that? Can you put that in perspective for us as we already now see here on the 2nd of December rising caseloads in cold weather states? Well, you mentioned at the beginning of the pandemic, and I recall being uh, very concerned that we did not have adequate testing and we uh, didn't have that concerted uh, all-in approach on testing because it's always been about using all of the tools in our toolbox. Of course, at the very beginning of the pandemic, we did not have uh, vaccinations, but we had, uh, and actually we did not have an adequate supply of testing. So uh, we should continue to make sure we are using all mitigation measures. And so I applaud the Biden administration again. Um, We cannot overemphasize testing. And you mentioned I'm CEO of EMED. But again, public health professionals, uh, physicians, everyone um, is in agreement that testing is a critical uh, piece of the puzzle. And certainly we've had some rules around return from international travel. Um, I was glad to see that uh, we are going to continue to uh, require testing as well as have some uh, testing uh, when people return, Uh, you know, as we return to school and work. You know, there's been a lot of conversation about uh, the OSHA rules. And and I hope ultimately, um, you know, we uh, have some clarification on those OSHA rules because vaccines, again, a piece of the puzzle, but testing 
a critical piece of the puzzle. And by the way, it's not just the test. It's also the infrastructure and our ability to verify and validate uh, testing. The, the results, the testing yes. Results. But it's also yeah. the why, doctor. When, we, when it comes to testing, it's not just knowing whether you have COVID or not. This is a way to control spread. This is a way for the authorities, for the experts, to be able to respond to a surge, right? That's almost as important as, as getting people vaccinated. Absolutely. You know, you have individuals who need to know and then make decisions, right? They make decisions about whether or not they should go to work, to school. Uh, But testing has also been critical for our public health to easily identify outbreaks and then do what they can to mitigate those outbreaks. And so the knowledge is critical, but it's not just having the knowledge. We then need to use that knowledge to make decisions and act. And that's why testing is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, individual knowledge, but also public health action. You mentioned the OSHA rule, and I only have a minute left here, doctor. I just wonder what medical groups like the AMA uh, have in terms of positions on vaccine mandates. There's an argument on Capitol Hill right now, it might even shut down the government over this. Is Are, are these mandates something you support? Well, as you noted, uh, I'm a former president, so yes, no longer course. officially representing as an the AMA. Uh, but the AMA has certainly uh, come out in support of uh, uh, mandate vaccines, clearly, and certainly mandates uh, in healthcare institutions. So, vaccine mandates work. Um, you know, we don't have to have a one-size-fits-all approach. Sure. Uh, but we should make sure that public health leaders and physicians and scientists are, are making these decisions and recommendations. Doctor, thank you. Patrice Harris, former president of the AMA, now CEO of EMED, with us on Sound On. We'll reassemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's the fastest hour in politics, and glad you're with us. As you just heard from Charlie Pellet, the House votes to pass the bill, the government funding bill. 221-212, the vote today, largely along party lines. Not a big shocker there, but this would fund government agencies at current levels through February 18th, a continuing resolution. Back to the issue we were just discussing with Dr. Patrice Harris, and that's the White House's, well, I guess latest, I won't say new, but latest approach to COVID this winter. If there were no Omicron, at least this is my take on this, that that same speech could have been delivered today. And it may well have been written before we knew about these new cases, for that matter. We added two more today, Minnesota and Colorado. And it was interesting to hear the president speak, not not about so much the five point plan. But the impact that this new variant has had, we're going to talk about this with the panel 
in just a second. Listen to Joe Biden today, the president of the National Institutes of Health, talking about the impact this news, just the news itself of the variant, only three cases so far, has had on the vaccine holdouts. There is an expectation that 30 percent of the non-vaxxers under no circumstances would I get a vaccination because of the new variant are now saying I'm going to get a vaccination. So we hope that's true. I hope that's true. Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributor, is back along with George C., CEO of Annandale Capital, former senior advisor to Marco Rubio's 16 presidential campaign. Do you believe that, Jeannie, or, or does that seem a little too easy? If those numbers are true, that's a very good sign, as the president said. Um, you know, I, I think one of the big challenges for Joe Biden, and we're seeing it in the polling, is that people in the middle, independents in particular, they their approval of his handling of the pandemic has gone in the wrong direction. And, you know, Democrats very supportive, Republicans very opposed, but it's those independents that have gone in the wrong direction. And some of that has to do with the fact that he has been unable, the administration has been unable to be consistent in their messaging and accurate because the science keeps changing, whether you're talking about masks long ago or now with this new variant. So he has a real, real challenge on his hands. I thought his remarks today were good, but another COVID rollout from Joe Biden with a frustrated public tired of these 18 months, that's a really hard pill for people to swallow. Does this plan work, George, knowing that in a couple of weeks we're going to learn a lot more about this new variant? You know, I I think it's been a fascinating uh, from an intellectual and a historically eventually exercise to watch these two presidents deal with something that we didn't know how have any idea how to handle. They've all both of them have kind of fumbled around in the dark looking for the light switch, so to speak. And and I would say that I, I hope and I think it is true that some people are going to be influenced by the new variant to go get the vaccine. And as someone who's very pro-vaccine, I look at that as a very, very good thing. I, I think where President Biden and his administration have aired is where they put these mandates out there and they wag their fingers at people and tell them they have to go get vaccinated. I think the American people don't respond well to Big Brother telling them what to do on things. I think psychologically it's actually a negative motivator. And and I wish they would stop that and they would turn instead to rationally, calmly, politely, gently urging people to go do it. They've done some of that, but but the mandates, I think, have been very counterproductive. I think a lot of Americans... You think they would have gotten the vaccine without them, in other words? I think more people would have. I think some people are so stubborn and it doesn't make any sense. I get that. But psychologically, they'd resist someone ordering them what to do. And I So think should the message be not about Big Brother, but about your brother? That fine, if you don't want the, to get the vaccine because of a mandate, whatever, but, but you're actually protecting the people around you. But I, I maybe totally it's too late for that. that. Yeah. That's the right message. And that's what I've told everybody. I've been very pro-vaccine. And for people I know who are anti-vaccine, I say, look, don't do it for, for you. Do, do it for somebody you're walking past who's an innocent person. It's a very good, good, persuasive argument, I think. A lot of talk today about surge teams as well. Now, this is another one that gets people very upset, Jeannie. You know this. We've talked about it. The president uh, went there months ago that surge teams would be going, remember, door to door. Talk about Big Brother. People don't like that idea. Well, now he says we're going to have triple the number of surge teams. Here's the president from today. They help provide life-saving treatments in communities in need, like monoclonal uh, uh, antibody treatments. We have over 20 teams deployed now. 
Today I'm announcing that we're going to triple that, more than double it. We're going to get to 60 teams ready to deploy in states to experience a surge in cases over the course of this winter. Now, Jeannie, I guess these teams do a lot. They can even backfill in ERs, help hospitals and so forth. But if they're going uh, into communities and, and trying to urge people to get vaccinated or, or take whatever precautions we're talking about, does that also prove to be a disincentive? I think it can be problematic. Listen, those teams are needed because the administration doesn't want to be caught flat-footed like it was when Delta hit. Yeah. So they're responding in, in large part to their lack of a response, uh, not total lack, but you know it wasn't strong enough to Delta. And the surge teams are important. But to your point, Joe, and hopefully the president is listening to you, you don't want to send in a team that sounds like the federal government is coming in right. and knocking on your door. Right. You'd rather have members of the community, people you trust, people you know, friends and family move this forward. But you know, one thing that I think is really important we have to say is when we look at the science, this is going to keep continuing. We will keep seeing new variants if we don't get the world vaccinated. I mean, that is the answer to much of this. And it's something we don't talk about enough. And the United States has a huge role in that. We've done a good deal already. But we and the other countries who have means have got to be able to move that. And it's not just the vaccination. It's the ability to get those vaccinations into arms that's lacking in many right. of these countries. Well, the president did speak to that issue today, and, and we've got a, a whole new line on that now. It's 200 million doses in the next 100 days, previously pledged vaccine doses abroad. By the way, to, to Jeannie's point, we're talking about vaccinating the world. That is what the president said today, George. The administration has been criticized for not providing more vaccines to countries in need. But it's also been likened to, you know, when you're on the airplane, you got to put your mask on before you can help the person next to you, no? I really think that, that criticisms of us for not distributing vaccines on an equivalent basis around the world are the most silly thing I've ever heard. We, we developed the vaccine. We have to put our citizens and fellow Americans first. And we're still helping the rest of the world in a tremendous way. So these kind of complaints are people who never have anything good to say about anything. I, I think they should be rejected. <laughs> I also would echo what Jeannie said and say one thing the scientists have gotten right is they said from the beginning, not if there would be variants, but there would be variants. And there would probably be many of the variants. Yes. And one thing I'm very encouraged by about the latest one is that it does seem to be very uh, transmittable. It, it's, it's readily spread. But we haven't heard any reports yet that it's, it's a... It's a deadly version. The prior versions have been more deadly so far, at least, and we've got to have a lot more data than this one is. And that's very encouraging because it means the, the loss of life we've seen tragically for two years now might be diluted tremendously in this variant. I hope that's the case. Well, you know, look, it would be the great blessing uh, for this administration and the world, Jeannie, certainly the market. If everyone learned in a couple of weeks that this was not as deadly as some of the other strains, certainly Delta, uh, we could have a, a resurgence of business, travel, investment, etc. That's right. And, and you know, God willing, that, that becomes the case. Um, but as the doctor was just saying to you, the other aspect of this is even if we didn't have the new variant, mm -hmm. we are into the winter. We are in a holiday That's season. Right. People are starting to be in Thanksgiving and Hanukkah and Christmas and other holidays celebrating together in smaller places. You know, travel was up a good deal. That's all good, except that it also means we may see more transmission. So, you know, it, it's it's not just this 
variant, although that's incredibly serious, it, it is also just the reality of where we are today. Oh, you make a great point. New York, you saw the number today, Jeannie, in your state of New York, 11,300 new COVID cases, the most since January, as dozens of hospitals neared capacity. George, could that speech have been delivered even without Omicron? And, and do you think it was already in the works? I, I really don't have a good answer for that. I, I think the, the reality is we're all going to be living for this for quite some time to come still, even after having gone through it for nearly two years now. And I think most people have kind of gotten used to it and are saying, I, I'm getting back to life. I'm going to wear a mask when I'm in a crowded area, and I'm going to take all the necessary precautions. And God willing, everybody's going to get a, get a, get a shot and get a booster at some point if they haven't yet because it's the best thing you can do. But mm-hmm. we're going to get on with it. We're, we're, we, as America, are going to move forward. We're not going to let ourselves get frozen by fear from this thing. And I, I think that's a, that's a happy advancement from what we've been in the last year and a half or so. What do you make of that, Jeannie? This could have been a speech written months ago, a couple of weeks ago, even that the White House was waiting for the right opportunity to roll out ahead of winter and so forth. And then this new variant showed up. So let's do the speech tomorrow. It could have been, you know, I th- I don't think it's the speech that he wants to be giving. I don't no, think it's it what isn't. he wants to be talking about, but he certainly has to. He is the president who ran saying, judge my presidency on how I combat this virus and this pandemic. So those are his words. And he is, you know, stepping forward and trying to address this. And, you know, this, of course, my state in a state of emergency numbers going up and New York City just set a vaccine mandate for religious and private school workers. So the issue of mandates keeps cropping up, but I thought what was fascinating in your conversation with the congressman was he made a a really important point. People opposed to the mandate aren't necessarily opposed to the vaccination. It's the mandate issue. So that is something that needs to be addressed. Jeannie Shanzano, thanks as always, Bloomberg Politics contributor, and George C., CEO of Annandale Capital. We learned a couple things from you today, George, and I like talking with you. Come back and see us be part of our panel again here on the fastest hour in politics. All I know is I ate turkey last year with my family in the backyard by a propane heater. Didn't have to do that this year. This is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.